This is Revision Church Atlanta podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Wesley Knight, the lead pastor here at Revision Church Atlanta. Here at RCA, we leverage the power of prayer, personal influence, community development, and love to empower transformation in Christ. We hope you are encouraged by this week's message. Thank you for tuning in. to be before you all long here this morning. I don't want to belabor the time, but I believe that there's a word from the Lord here on this morning. And so if you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn to Genesis 22. Genesis 22. It's a very familiar passage of scripture, a very familiar story to probably many of us. And that's Genesis 22. And we're going to start at verse number one. That's Genesis 22 starting at verse number one, Genesis 22, starting at verse number one. And we're going to read all the way down to number 13. And the word of the Lord says this, it says, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering in a rose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and a boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. And when they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood, my Lord. And then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the Bible says, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket. (laughs) I want to say that one more time. That after the Lord spoke to him, Abraham lifted up his eyes and just saw a ram. (laughs) It was caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son instead of his son. For just a few moments this morning, I want to just ask all of us the question, is your worship real? Is your worship real? 
Let us pray. God, Lord, we're so thankful for your word here this morning. And so, God, Lord, as we dive into it for a few moments, God, we pray that you may order our steps. Hear us, guide us right now in this very moment. Send your anointing upon us, Father, we do pray. Order our steps in your word. In the precious name of Jesus, we do pray. Amen. Amen. Is your worship real? I want you to go ahead and turn to the person or somebody sitting next to you and say, is your worship real? Listen, you can also just go ahead and just drop it in the chat. Go ahead and just ask everyone the question. Is your worship real? But as you're asking the question, I also want you to think about yourself. Is your worship real? Is your worship real? I am a product of the 1990s. And so I was in church, really heavy in the church in the 1990s and the 2000s. But my childhood in church was the 1990s and the early 2000s. And man, I remember like it was yesterday. I mean, church back then. I mean, was a little bit different, specifically when it came to, to music. I mean, back then, you know, there wasn't that many praise teams yet. We, we had choirs still. I mean, it, the choir didn't just sing once a month. I mean, the choir sang every single week. And not only that, but we used to have multiple choirs. I mean, you were at like a medium sized to so fairly large church. You probably had about four choirs. I mean, on the first Saturday of the month, you probably had the adult choir sing. And then on the second Sabbath, I mean, you all probably had a men's choral. You know, the, men, the men's choir would sing on the second. And then on the third, you know, you had the children's choir. And then oftentimes on the fourth week, you had the youth choir. You know, and I remember as a kid, I remember always looking forward to the youth choir. I mean, because the youth choir... Even when I was too young to be in the youth choir, I always felt like the youth choir, they were always singing the songs that you would hear on the radio. They were singing the songs that were on the Wow Gospel CD of that year. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Yeah, the Wow Gospel CD of that year. I mean, the youth choir, they always used to sing like the real, real current, real current songs. So Chelsea and I, we have a, 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 a 90s, 2000 kind of gospel playlist that we often go to on Sabbath mornings that we worship to. And as I was playing it just a couple of weeks ago, it began to kind of take us down memory lane. And we began to kind of think about some of the songs that we used to frequently sing in church in the 1990s and <laughs> 1990s and the early 2000s. Oh, yeah, that's the whole truth. Four choirs. I ain't lying. We used to have four choirs, four choirs. And I remember, I remember some of the songs, like one of the songs, I, this is one that I know you all know. I know Michelle Duncan knows it because she knows the whole Kirk Franklin catalog. But it's my life, my love, my all. Oh, man, when the youth choir used to sing that song, it didn't matter what age you were, everybody would be in tears. Everybody would be slayed by that song. My Life, My Love, My All by Kirk Franklin. But a classic song, and I don't know, but, you know, I'm from New York. And so, you know, a classic go-to was always anything Hezekiah Walker. I mean, if you're from New York, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, Hezekiah Walker was always the go-to for the choirs and but I know you all remember the song, Faithful is Our God. <laughs> oh, man. 
I take back what the devil stole from me. All you all know the there. Yeah, faithful is our God. And then me and Chelsea were actually joking about this recently, but I don't know why every church had this as their closing song. You know, when the ushers would go down the aisles and they would usher you out. But it was always, I need you to survive by Hezekiah Walker. Do I have any folk in here that that was their experience that growing up in church, it was always, I need you to survive as you were leaving? That always made me sad for some reason. I mean, I got nothing against a song, but as a slow song leaving church, it always made me, made me feel some type of way. But I need you to survive. And then... I know someone mentioned earlier, Byron Cage, the presence of the Lord is here. I can feel it in the atmosphere. Oh, man. But this this one's a classic, y'all. The Prayer by Yolanda Adams and Donnie McClark. And I mean, if you had a duo in your church, let's be honest, this was the go-to song, The Prayer. I mean, this is the song that everybody's saying that could sing. I mean, this was the go-to song. I mean... The Prayer by Yolanda Adams and Donnie McClurkin. And then the song that had us all tearing up and the song that many of us would mime to. I know I know, I have some miming folk in here that used to do some interpretive praise dancing was Alabaster Box by C.C. Winans. Uh, don't, don't, don't run from us here at Revision. You can show yourself. I, ain't nothing wrong with some interpretive dancing. Uh, I know many of us interpreted dancing to the Alabaster Box song by C.C. Winans. But if you're really, especially if you're really from New York, I mean, my dad had this album on the VHS Live in London by Donnie McClurkin. Uh, that was a classic album. I know you all know about that album, Live in London. And they got songs on it like We Fall Down. I mean, that was the prayer song in my church, No Live, for about three years. For three years, every time when it was time for prayer, it was we fall down <laughs> and we get up. But if you're really from New York, you 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 know about the song I got my mind made up. I mean that that was being sung in churches, not just in New York, but all across the country. I got my mind made up. But a song that really that I I truly loved, and I used to love when we would have a guest singer come in, or we used to have a soloist singing. And it was a song by Larry D. Trotter, and it was called My Worship is For Real. Uh, I don't know about you all, but oh, listen, listen, that, that's my song right there. My, my worship is for real because the lyrics say, all the things that I've been through, you can't feel my pain. What I had to go through to get here, you'll never understand my praise. <laughs> Don't try to figure it out because my worship is for real. Oh, do I have some folk in here that remember that song? And then it says, I've been through too much not to worship him. Do I have some folk in here that remember that song? Oh, some of y'all lift up your hands right now. That's your song. Y'all can resonate with that. That I've been through too much not to worship the Lord. And I love that line because it's a declaration to people, spirits, and, and demons that God has brought us through just a little bit of just too much for me not to worship the Lord. I mean that God has just done just a little bit too much for us, for us not to worship him. I love that line because the writer is saying that 
no matter what continues to come my way, my soul will continue to make its boast in the Lord and be glad. Oh, I love that song. I've come too far not to worship him. Furthermore, the writer is also letting us know, and he's alluding to this idea that worship is not so much about moving our mouth, but it's really about moving our hearts. Oh, I need y'all to stay with me here, Revision, because the, uh, the, the writer Trotter is trying to let us know that it's not so much about lifting up our hands, that it's not so much about standing to our feet, but rather it's more so about the movement of the heart than it is the movement of the body. Oh, the song really kind of defines for us what worship is. And so this gives us the ability to invite ourselves into the text here this morning because this story about Abraham and Isaac really helps us define and understand what worship truly is. For the Bible says that in verse number one, it says that after these things, God tested Abraham. Oh, that's what an introduction to, a, to some scripture. That literally the first line of the chapter, the first clause is that after these things, God tested Abraham. And anytime you read a passage of scripture, it's always important for you to pay attention to the words that are being used. Because after these things denotes that, that there was something that came before it that we need to pay attention to. That that there was something that took place prior that we should pay attention to. So it's in order for and it's, 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 it's important for us to understand the content in order for uh, the context in order for us to understand the content. And so I want us to take us back to Genesis chapter 12 before we jump into Genesis chapter 22, because in Genesis chapter 12, God told Abraham and Sarah that he would make them a great nation. And from him, all the families of the earth will be blessed. The promise didn't make sense at the time, y'all, because he and Sarah had no children and were well into their senior years. But yet the Bible says God told them that I'm going to make you into a major, into a great nation. Because I want to just deposit this into our spirits here this morning, because what makes sense to God will not always make sense to us. Why? Because God is not limited to our finite understanding. I wanted to say that one more time, is that what often makes sense to God will not always make sense to us because God is not limited to our finite understanding. For the Bible says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And I just want to just park here parenthetically and testify that I'm just so happy that I serve a God whose mind is not like mine. Do I have some folk in here who are just happy about that, that you serve a God whose knowledge is infinite? You serve a God whose mind is not like yours. Why? Because when my mind, when I think about my mind, when I think about how my mind is bombarded with issues and decisions and 
difficulties. I need sometimes some wisdom, y'all, behind my beyond my own understanding and expertise. I need a wisdom to hear from someone that is smarter than me. I need someone who is not limited to the reality of my own limitations, but I need somebody who can be able to think and see things that I can't see. I'm just so happy that I'm able to worship and I'm serve a God who can see tomorrow before I can see tomorrow. Uh, we can uh, we can see to the hill, but our God can see around the hill. I'm just so happy that I serve a God when I can see to the corner. My God can see around the corner. And I don't know about you, but I'm excited that I serve a God that can see things that I can't see. And you may not be able, you may not be able to see the end of these viruses. We got all these different viruses coming out. We got monkeypox now, but guess what? We serve a God that can. You may not be able to see yourself out, out of this financial situation. You got bills on bills that are due. You're trying to figure out how you're going to make it, but I just came by to deposit in your spirit that we serve a God that can see beyond your financial situation. I just want to praise the Lord here this morning that I serve a God whose mind is not like mine. I mean, I'll be the first one to say that I'm not perfect and I made some mistakes even this past week. And I'm just so happy that I serve a God that does not make mistakes that I make, but I serve a God that comes behind and helps me work through my mistakes. Is there anybody in here this afternoon or this late morning that just want to give God praise that you serve a God whose mind is not like yours, but yet you serve a God who can see beyond your own reality? Is there anybody that wants to give God praise because you serve a God that is above and who can see beyond your own reality? Oh, yes. Here in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham and Sarah, they're able to come to terms with this idea that they're serving a God that's beyond their own reality. So although they're late in age, if the Lord said that I'm going to give you a son and make you into a mighty nation, therefore it must happen. But then in Genesis chapter 15, Abrams receives a vision from the Lord and the vision God tells Abraham to look at the stars and the number of the stars will be the number of your offspring. On that day, the Lord made a covenant and a promise with Abraham. I need y'all to stay with me here today because God is telling Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 that I'm going to use your family as a means of saving a rebellious world. Woo! I need y'all to stay with me because I don't know about you all, but this made me pause for a minute because God in his power could have saved us without us. Oh, I just want to say that one more time is that God in his infinite power could have saved us without us. God who needs nothing from no one yet decided that he needed you. The God who needs nothing decided that he needed us for the Bible says that all creation testifies of the glory of God, which means the birds testify to the glory of God, which means the, the, the dogs testify to the glory of God. We serve a God that needs nothing, but the God who needs nothing yet chose that and said that he needed us. 
And I don't know if there's some folk in here today that want to give God praise that we serve a God whose power is infinite, but yet he said, I want to use you despite of yourselves. I know you messed up. I know you made a mistake, but yet I'm choosing to use you anyways. Is there anybody in here that wants to give God praise because God chose you? He chose to use you. He said, you know, you may not be the most talented individual, but yet God said, no, you have purpose in your life. And yet I'm going to use you. Is there anybody here who just wants to give God praise that God chose to use you and God told Abraham in the same manner that I'm going to use you. I, I, I don't have to use you, but I'm choosing to use you. And this is what we refer to as the incarnational ministry of, of Jesus. God, who can do anything, made a choice that he was going to use people to help people. <laughs> what if they that one more time that God, who could have done anything, who could have just made decisions by made made decisions by himself and could have just worked on his own said you know what i'm going to use people to help people and god could have used a host of angels but yet he chose to use you is there anybody in here who just wants to just lift up their hands and say god thank you for using me i know i don't have maybe a lot to offer but god you using me anyways is there anybody that wants to give god praise because the lord is using you oh man chapter 15 abraham and sarah they come to terms with the simple fact that God is choosing to use them. He didn't have to use them, but yet he's choosing to use them. But then in chapter 16, Sarah still hadn't had a child yet. Sarah's awaiting around. She's trying to figure out. She said, the Lord promised me a child, y'all. But where is this child yet? And so Sarah, being impatient, she decides to take matters into her own hands. Abraham and Sarah decided to take matters into their own hands. And they decided that Abraham would sleep with their maid, Hagar. So Abraham and Hagar have a son named Ishmael. And guess what? God allowed this to happen, but he didn't ordain it. And like Sarah, many of us make a habit of taking matters into our own hands. And when we take matters into our own hands, we end up shortchanging what God is trying to do in our lives because we end up having to face problems and situations that we would not have had to face if we would have just listened to God in the first place. But because we're so hard-headed, we like to try to take matters into our own hands. Yeah, you, you may have that job right now, and God may have permitted it, but yet maybe God did not ordain it. Maybe that was not currently the job that God wanted you to have. God allowed it, but he didn't ordain it. Maybe you're in a relationship right now, and it's giving you a headache, and God allowed you to make the decision for yourself to be in that relationship, but that doesn't mean that God ordained the relationship. And many of us, are we're in situations because we decided to take matters into our own hands. We decided to take the long way around instead of the short way around. And so now Sarah and Abraham are in a little bit of a mess. But in chapter 17 and 18, God came to Abraham and Sarah again with a specific promise that did not make sense. He tells them that Sarah will bear a child. Get this now, y'all. It's been some years. Abraham is 100 and Sarah is 90 years old. 
By this time, it had been 13 years since God made his original promise in chapter 12. And they had seen no signs of the earlier promise. So for 13 years, y'all, Abraham and Sarah have just been waiting around, waiting for this promise to come to fruition. It's in those waiting seasons when doubt would oftentimes try to creep in. It's in those seasons of cancer treatment that doubt would try to creep in. It's in those seasons of trying uh, uh, to make ways for your child, but yet it seems like you're just not making any progression with your child that doubt will begin to creep in. It's in those seasons when you're waiting on acceptance letters from a school that doubt will begin to creep in. It's in that waiting season where you're waiting for that email from that job that you really, really want that doubt will begin to seep in. And what I've learned is that doubt can oftentimes undermine progress to your promise. I want to say that one more time. Is that what I've learned often is that doubt can oftentimes undermine the progress to your promise. Doubt can paralyze you in such a way and cause you to be stagnant. And it makes you want to take control rather than trust the God with your life. And however, when you give God uh, faith, you give God something to work with. The Bible says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. We have to understand that you may be in a waiting season, but if God made the promise that he's going to come through for you. But now in chapter 21, finally, Abraham and Sarah see God's promise come to fruition. Sarah conceived and bore a son and named him Isaac, which means he laughs. What once brought them sorrow and misery now is bringing them a sense of joy and happiness. The birth of Isaac meant a dawn of a new day for their family. The birth of Isaac was a fulfillment of the promise in its entirety that there would be a coming Messiah that uh, would preach the gospel to all nations. But the Bible says, that after they're given this child, after they name him Isaac and this dawn of a new day comes, the Bible says, now after these things, the first clause of that chapter, it says, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I should tell you. Y'all, I'm a little confused. This is the son that they've always been waiting for. But now the Lord, after giving them the son, now tells them to go sacrifice the son on the altar. He was going to give up the very thing that he had waited 99 years for the very thing that made his wife, Sarah laugh. God is now requesting that his son that was born from a divine plan and promise is now to be sacrificed. I can only imagine Abraham just sitting there perplexed because here it is that we've waited all these years to have a son. God, you've given us exactly what we requested, but now God, you act that I sacrificed the very thing that I hold dear. I can imagine Abraham is sitting there. He's probably rubbing his head. He's probably trying to figure out, 
How in the world am I going to explain this to my wife? That the very thing that makes her laugh, God is telling me the sacrifice. But more importantly, what's disturbing is that Abraham proceeds to go on this journey to the mountain. And Abraham, he discloses what he's about to do. However, Abraham doesn't tell the men that he's going to kill his only son. He doesn't tell the men that he's going to offer his only son to the Lord. He doesn't even tell the men that he's going to make a sacrifice, knowing that he's going to kill his son. He doesn't tell the men like, listen, y'all, God told me to sacrifice my son. I'm going to go to the top of the mountain to sacrifice my son. He doesn't tell the men that. But instead, he tells the men something very, very interesting. Something that left me perplexed as I was reading this chapter. Because he doesn't tell the men that I'm going to kill my son. But rather, he tells the men that I'm going to go and worship. He doesn't tell the men that I'm going to go kill my son. I'm going to go listen to what the Lord told me to do. But yet he tells them that I am going to go up that mountain and I am going to take my son and we are going to go to worship. Church family, as I was reading this text, I was perplexed because I'm just trying to sit there and put myself in Abraham's footsteps and trying to think, how is it that sacrificing my son could be seen as worship? You tell me to go sacrifice my son. And what I tell people that I'm going to go do is I'm going to go worship. How is it that Abraham can willfully give up his only son? And at the same time of giving up his only son, he's also saying that is worship. The reason being is, is because Abraham understands the basis of worship. I need y'all to stay with me that Abraham understands the basis of worship. Because, see, worship isn't simply the act of singing. It's not simply the act of preaching and reciting the word of God. See, worship isn't about the notes that you hit or how good the pastors can preach or how loud you and your neighbor can shout. Because Abraham understands that worship is only inhabitable if we submit to God. I want to say that one more time. Abraham understands that worship is only inhabitable if we submit to God. In other words, worship can't exist unless you submit or surrender to God. One writer says it like this. He says, worship is to honor God with extravagant love and extreme submission. Oh, I need us to get this here today. Is that worship is to honor with extravagant love and extreme submission. So in order to worship, we must be in a position of surrendering ourselves to God. When we say submission, we aren't saying that God wants us to submit for the sake of abuse or some sort of misuse, but instead we're saying that God wants us to yield to a greater divine superior force and authority. It means that God wants our desires uh, to be his desires. It means putting God's desires above our desires. See, being submitted means you're willing to yield to the voice of God. It means that you're willing to listen to God before anyone else. It means that you're willing to listen to the voice of God instead of hearing yourself talk. 
It means that you're willing to listen to the voice of God instead of calling up your sisters and your brothers and trying to get their opinion first. I mean, listening to the voice of God, but not only that, that you have to, you're willing to give up your selfish desires for God's desires. And so although that job may look good, you're still asking the question, God, is this what you have for me? Uh, God, I know this school, they've accepted me and they've given me a scholarship, but God, is this where you want me to go? God, this opportunity is in front of me, but before I step into it, God, I first want to consult and make sure that this is the right decision for me. But see, not only that, but yielding to God means before we step into a relationship that we consult with God first. It means before we take the promotion that we consult with God for first. It means before you attend that college of your dreams that you yield and consult with God. See, God is asking that we submit because our worship is contingent upon our willingness to submit to God. Revision, revision y'all quiet on me here today. I, I need y'all to stay with me. That, listen, it's, it's, it's dependent upon your willingness to submit to God. Why? Because worship by definition, listen, literally means to bow, to stoop, or to pay homage to God. See, worship is two-dimensional. Worship is two-dimensional. We have the physical, external act of worshiping. We have the singing, the lifting of hands, the clapping of hands, the bowing of heads, all of which are a response to a proclamation of God's word, the declarations of what God does, and the exaltation of who he is. This bowing isn't just an external physical movement, though, because there's also an, a second dimension that is also dependent upon our attitude. Our, uh, our, our external acts are just subsequent responses to our attitude. See, God is asking that we not only bow physically, but our hearts bow spiritually. Oh, y'all kind of quiet on me here today is that God is not only asking that we move physically, but God is also asking that our hearts move spiritually. See, he wants our hearts to be totally in surrender to God. He wants our hearts to be bowed in stupor and in reverence to God. He isn't merely concerned about the acts, but he concerned about our attitudes. And can I just step on some toes here this morning? Because many of us have a habit of worshiping without submitting. See, Jesus doesn't want mere lip service. Jesus is addressing the Pharisees. He says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. Jesus is saying that their worship amounted to zero. Their worship was worthless because they moved their lips, but they did not move their hearts. And if I could be honest here this morning, that there are many of us who have been moving our limbs, but yet we have not been moving our hearts. I mean, we've been moving with our hands and we've been clapping our hands. We've been moving our mouths and we've been singing to the Lord. We've been praying, but yet and still we have not moved our hearts yet. We have not totally submitted to God. And so what we end up doing is we end up playing church. And many of us have become so good at playing church that many of us should be nominated for Oscar awards and Tony awards because many of us have been playing church for so long and because we're able to move our limbs, but yet we have not been able to move our hearts. And I don't know who I'm speaking to here today, but I just want to deposit into our spirits that God is not just calling us to move our limbs, 
but rather God is calling us to prostrate our hearts towards him. And I don't know if I have some folk here that are willing to say, Pastor, that's me. And I understand that not only does God want my hands to be lifted, but God wants my heart to be lifted. Not only does he want me to be laid prostrate physically, but rather he wants me, my heart to be laid prostrate towards him. Do I have some folk in here that can say, ah, pastor, yes, that's me. I know, I know, I know I need to do a better job. I know I need to prostrate my heart and not just my limbs because we sing for involvement instead of heartfelt commitment. We lift our hands out of routine instead of relationship. We shout to maintain reputation instead of a heartfelt dedication. And Abraham is showing us that he is submitted to God, that he doesn't see the sacrificing of his son as anything other than worship. Ooh, I need y'all to stay with me here, revision. Because Abraham is showing us that this submission to God has revolutionized his perspective and approach to God. Therefore, our inability to submit to God is a reflection of our view of God. Our inability to submit to God is a reflection of our view of God because true worship, authentic worship, is based on having a right understanding of God's nature and work. When your mind is rightfully understanding God, your heart is rightfully valuing God. Therefore, worship is nothing more than an inner valuing of God becoming visible to the outside world. Oh, I want to say that one more time, y'all. Because worship is nothing more than our inner valuing of God becoming visible to the outside world. It's nothing more than us putting the worth of God on display. That's why when it comes to God, we try to use the best words possible, like mighty, wonderful, gracious, king, powerful, and infinite. And I don't know if I have just a few people in here this afternoon that just want to take a moment to just display God's worth. You're in here this afternoon because God is mighty, that because God is wonderful, because God is powerful, because God is a way maker. Is there anybody in here this morning that just wants just to take a moment and just worship the God, but you're not just going to worship him with your lips, but yet you're going to worship him with your heart. You're going to worship him with the best praise that you have in you. Is there anybody in here who wants to give God praise because he is your way maker. He is your provider. He is a wonderful God. He is a powerful God. Is there anybody in here who wants to prostrate their hearts to God? Here, we see here in the text, we see that if we want to be a real worshiper, the first thing that we have to do is we have to be committed. We see that Abraham is committed to God. So committed that he tells the people that I'm not going to go sacrifice, but I'm going to go worship. I'm not going to go kill my son, but I'm going to go worship the God that I love. See, I want us to understand that God can't give back what we're not ready to give up. I want to say that one more time is that God can't give back what we're not ready to give up. I want you to drop that in the chat. Is that God can't give back what we're not ready to give up. God can never give back to you what you're not ready to give up to him. See, the act of true commitment is if you're willing to give up some stuff. 
You may think that you can't give this up, that this is too much to give up, that I need this. When you walk with God and trust God and trust his plans for your life, it doesn't matter whatever or whomever walks out of your life. God will replace it with more than what you thought you gave up in the first place. You Maybe you can't get uh, you can, you feel like you can't give up this job. You feel like you can't give up this relationship. You feel like you can't give up this career. But if you're a servant of God, you have to declare that I am God's servant and I'm going to follow God's voice no matter what it costs me. It may cost me dearly, but now that I'm on the other side of it, my test became my testimony because until you give it up, you can't get it back. And when he gives it back, he will give you more than what you gave up in the first place. And look at the story of Job. Job lost everything that he had, but yet God gave him back everything that he lost and more. Because some of some of you have given up having children. Maybe you've given up having a certain career. Maybe you've given up a job. Maybe you've given up a house because of financial reasons and because you wanted to do what God told you to do. You have no plans. You have no roadmap. You have no GPS. You know, you have no atlas. You just trusted in God's promise. But do I have some people that can testify that I have more than 30 years ago? I have more than 10 years ago. I have more than five years ago. I have more than two years ago. I'm more grateful now than I've ever been in my life because when you give it all up, God will give you more back and some. He may not give it to you in the same way, but yet maybe you got a little bit more joy than you had two years ago. Maybe you have a little bit more peace than you had a few years ago. Maybe you have just a little bit more happiness in your life than you had a few years ago. God did not give you back what you lost, but maybe he gave you back a little bit more and more of what you needed, more than you realized you needed in the first place. And what seemed to be a trial is now your triumph. What seemed to be your test is now your testimony. Is there anybody who wants to give God praise because what you decided to give up, God returned back to you and some. For the text says that they will, the text says that they will go to worship and come again to you. This is one complete clause. Which means that Abraham is telling the young men that the same way that I left is the same way that I'm going to return. I, I need us to get this because Abraham and Isaac left together. But based upon what Abraham says here, he says that we will go to worship and come again to you. Abraham is implying here that I'm going to go up there with my son but I'm also going to return with my son. I need us to get this here today because Abraham is saying that we're going to go up the hill together. We're going to go up the mountain together, but we're also going to go down the mountain together. I don't get this. Was Abraham aware that this was a test from God? Did Abraham know that his son was not going to be killed? I would like to suggest not at all. However, Abraham's faith is in the knowledge that should he kill Isaac, God would raise him from the dead because God promised that Isaac would carry on his seed in covenant. Ooh, I need y'all to get this. Is that Abraham is saying, like, listen, I understand God's promise. 
God said that he's going to use Isaac so that we can build nations and so that we can save the world. And so if God's promise is true, I might be sacrificing my son, but I don't know how, but I'm going to return with my son. <laughs> I may be going up there with my son. I might be killing my son, but in the same way, for whatever reason, I'm going to come back down with my son. And when we're committed worshipers, we're constantly aware of God's promises. Oh, I need us. I need us to get this here today, y'all. When we're when we're true worshipers, we're aware of God's promise. What does that mean? That we have to get in the habit of sticking with the promises until what's true becomes real. What does that what does that mean? Because oftentimes we get impatient with what God with God because what scripture says isn't true always isn't our immediate reality. Pastor Houston, what are you talking about? Unpack this a little bit. Isaiah 41:10 says, "So do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with your righteous hand." This is the promise, but yet People in our community are constantly dying. This is the promise, but I'm still in marriage counseling and it still doesn't feel like it's working. I mean, this is the promise, but still my children want nothing to do with church and God. I mean, this is the promise, but I'm still looking for a job. I mean, this is the promise, but I'm still trying to get into school. However, God is asking that we be patient and stick with the promise until what's true becomes real. <laughs> because Isaiah 40, 31 says, for they that wait upon the Lord, their faith shall renew. They shall be mounted up with wings like eagles. They shall walk and not be weary. They shall run and not wait. You're still fighting through your marriage, but hold on to the promise that I will never leave you nor forsake you until what's true becomes real. You may be experiencing death on every end, but we have to hold on to the promise that weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning time. So hold on to what's true until it becomes real. Your children still ain't in church yet, but you have to hold on to the promise that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways until what's true becomes real. We have to learn to stick with the promises until what's true becomes real. And do I have some folk in here that can testify? Pastor Houston, I've been waiting for a long time and I've been feeling like I want to give up, but I've been around long enough to know that if I just continue to stick to what's true, I know that it's eventually going to become real. Do I have some folk in here that just want to give God praise because God never backs off his promises. God never shortcomes his promises. So I invite you to just continue to stick with what's true until it becomes real. Continue to stick with what's true become until it becomes your reality. Do I have some folk in here that want to give God praise because God's promises are in stone and we just have to be able to have the patience to be able to stick in with it until what's true becomes our reality. But not only that, but Abraham shows us here in this passage and I'm about to get out your way. Is that true worshipers are commemorative. I, I really, I, I need us to get this point here today. 
is that true worshipers, true worshipers are commemorative. Abraham commemorates the mount that he's on. Abraham commemorates the Mount Moriah, or in other words, he takes a moment to recall remembrance to. The naming of the place is significant. He commemorates this mountain by naming it. Abraham called it, the Lord will provide. In this mount, it shall be provided. Abraham didn't name the place in reference to what he went through. He didn't name it Trial Hill. He didn't name it Agony Hill. He didn't uh, 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 name it Obedience Hill. It's that he named the hill in reference to what God did. And I don't know if I have some people who just want to commemorate some moments in your life. I want to just take an opportunity for you to just reflect over your life for just a for just a few moments and think about some moments that you can't commemorate for a second. You were laying in your sick bed with tubes, tubes coming from you, but because you found favor, God found favor in you. He delivered you and you've commemorated that hospital, hospital, not as a hospital of sickness, but rather a hospital that I found healing. Do I have some folk in here who want to commemorate their past trials and their past triumphs? You were in a marriage that was struggling for years, but because God found favor in you and because you worked on it, you and your husband have made it on on the right side of the tracks together. And so although your house could be called a house of anger and a house of, of, of distress, you commemorated the house as a house of deliverance. Do I have some folk in here who want to just take the opportunity to commemorate some things? Your finances were looking rough. You couldn't pay all your bills, but yet God found favor in you and you haven't uh, uh, gone without missing a bill in a while. So Instead of going to the bank where you had to take out loans at one point, now you're depositing checks. And so now instead of calling it a place of depression, now every time you walk into Wells Fargo or every time you walk into a bank of America, you call that place a place of glory, a place of triumph, a place of victory. Is there anybody in here who just wants to take a minute? You're a minute to commemorate some things in your life. There was a point in time where you were constantly going to your inbox, waiting for that job to come through. And yet somehow God provided you with the job that you wanted. And you remember sitting there at that laptop for hours, filling out applications and doing cover letters. And so now every time you approach your laptop, you don't say, oh, this is a laptop that caused me distress. But yet this is the place in which I found victory. Is there anybody in here who wants to take an opportunity to praise the name of our Lord and commemorate some things in their lives? You didn't know if you were going to get out of school. Your grades was looking funny, but yet somehow you found a way to get out of school and now you got a job and now you're doing well. And so every time you step foot into that high school or every time you step foot onto that campus, you see that place as a place of victory instead of a place of long nights and misery as you study. Is there anybody who wants to give God praise and commemorate some moments in their life, commemorate some times in their life that God showed up and showed out. Is there anybody in here who wants to just take a moment and remember and be able to commemorate some places and make them a place of worship, to make them a place where 
they can remember the glory of God, the grandeur of God, the beauty of God. Is there anybody in the chat that wants to commemorate some things, commemorate their house because God delivered you. Commemorate the place in which the courtroom where your child was supposed to be convicted, but yet the jury got them off. And so every time you drive by that courthouse, you want to say that's a place of victory. Is there anybody who wants to commemorate some places in their lives? Abraham, he understands that true worship is about commemorating some things. Abraham also understands that true worship is about sticking with the promises until what's true becomes real. But also Abraham understands that true worship comes with commitment. That is not enough to move our limbs, but we have to move our hearts. Church, that's the end of my sermon today. And I, I, I truly believe that we have some true worshipers here on this virtual space who want to just take a moment and just commemorate some moments in their life. God gave you back what you lost and more. Or maybe God didn't just give you back what you lost, but he gave you something that you knew you didn't even know need in the first place. Abraham was committed. Abraham stuck with the promises. But not only that, but Abraham took a moment to commemorate the moments where God gave him victory. Today, church family, God is calling us not to move just our limbs, but to move our hearts. If that's you here today, you're saying, listen, Pastor Houston, I understand that God is calling me to move my heart. You want to make that move towards Jesus. I want you to just go ahead and just text Jesus to the number there on the screen. Go ahead and just click that QR code. You want to make a decision today that you want to move towards Jesus. You say, listen, listen, I understand what true worship is. I understand that it's about being committed. I understand that it's about sticking with the promises until what's true becomes real. And I also understand that it's about commemorating the moments where God gave me victory. If you want to make that decision today, I just want you to just go ahead and go ahead and just do the, click that QR code. If you want to join our community, if you want to join a fellowship of believers, I want you to go ahead and click that QR code as well. Church family, I encourage all of us today, including myself, just don't move your hands, but let's move our hearts. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the story of Abraham that teaches us about true worship. And God, Lord, we want to ask for forgiveness because the truth be told, oftentimes we fall short. God, we are so thankful for your grace and your mercy. And so, God, Lord, we pray that may we remember, God, that, Lord, that we need to be committed to you. May we be willing to submit to you. So, God, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit may continuously work on our hearts. 
May we submit our plans to you. May we submit our ways to you. May we submit our family to you. May we submit our decisions to you. And God, we also ask, dear Lord, that you also give us the strength and the resilience to stick to the promises until what's true becomes real. God, the truth be told, life is hard and sometimes we can become impatient. But God, Lord, may we have the confidence, God, just like Abraham, he said, I'm going up with my son, but because of God's promise, I know I'm going to come down with my son. God, we pray that we would have that level of faith. And God, we pray that we would take a moment to reflect and commemorate those moments, those spaces, those areas in which you gave us victory. This is our prayer. Jesus' name. Amen. If you are being blessed by this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us. You can give through our website at revisionchurchatlanta.org slash give. Or if you're local to Atlanta, Georgia, sign up to join a revision volunteer team by texting CREW to 833-406-0775. That's CREW, C-R-E-W, to 833-406-0775. We hope you have a phenomenal week.